This is Shaka Wart Speak. Alright, we're recording for real now. Welcome to Shaka Wart Speak. Gareth Blackwell is currently eating snacks and they smell. <laughs> it's a Czech embod- mix. I'm embodying Dr. Snack Smell right now. Yeah, I'm Ryan Letario, and we're here with uh, Dr. Blackwell that we affectionately call Dr. Snack Smell. And he's eating like a giant bag of Chex Mix with like I am. And he's but he's cherry picking the weird uh chips. What are those things called, Gareth? They're they're Melba Toast. Melba Toast. I've never heard anybody call them by their right name. Are we sure they're called Melba Toast? Trust me, I've got a PhD. Okay. There it is. <laughs> Go ahead, Doctor so, Snacks. Yeah, actually what people don't know is no one ever asks Gareth what his PhD is in. It's it's in material studies, mm-hmm. cultural material studies, specifically dealing with um the history of snacks starting in 1950 mm-hmm. all the way up to the present. Yeah, the the Pringles Institute was a fantastic place to do a lot yep. of my research. Um yep. so happy to take a degree from there. It was very, yeah. very engaging. Right. Which gets into, you know, the whole discussion I guess we're going to have today cuz we were talking about it and mm-hmm. It's like doing what you love. Like, why do you do what you do? Mm-hmm. And um, so we've been, you know, we're, we've been doing the rethink stuff and uh, they can get heavy. A little uh, bit. Just a tiny bit. So we wanted to go a little more, um, a little lighter today and talk about, you know, Gareth had asked me kind of like a question about making work. Mm-hmm. And a guy to a question like, well, why do you, why do you even do what you do as far as like, not the big answer, but more like just the personal answer. Yeah. Yeah. For yeah. Real. Not the big theoretical answer, but just like the personal answer. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know, I think, I think that could be an encouraging short, you know, so we're doing a short one today. Um, but we hope it's in, uh, <laughs> we'll see what that means. We'll see what that means. We, we always say if that's going to be the case and it almost never is. Yeah. So, um, so you, yeah. So anyhow, so here we are. Mm-hmm. Why do we do what we do? And um. I mean, I. You want me to jump in first? You want to jump in? Yeah, you you go ahead. Okay. With it. Um, you had kind of posed it to me, so. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was gonna Gareth was gonna introduce us, but um, he had food in his mouth, so I was Sorry, like, folks. I'm gonna put him on the spot and jump in before he can. So, um, you know, I think um, the magic of uh, that sounds so corny. The magic of just go with it. Gosh, that's corny. Um. <clears throat> but you know, but truly, like I, I think I, I loved uh, comic books as a kid, like a lot of us. Um, and there's something 100%. about comic books that are timely to a, a particular generation. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, like there's a time where comic books did not exist, right? Oh yeah. So you know, if you grew up in the last century, like you, or in the, you know, like Hollywood only existed for so long. Mm-hmm. So like I was born in 1975. So that means that there's a certain lifespan to film, cinema. Um, and then, you know, things like comic books. So, um, comic books gave you a little bit of intimacy and control. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, like I just liked the specialness of, of the issue, the color pop off the page. Like I wasn't like a serious reader, mm-hmm. but I loved the images and I loved the way my imagination was activated by, um, being given just enough information on the page. Like, I mean, I just was captivated, you know, so I, you know, I loved Hulk and Incredible Hulk and Wolverine were my, my faves. And uh, um, the idea of transformation was really interesting to me at an early age. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and like the Incredible Hulk, like I, I know I had my, my bedroom was all Incredible Hulk stuff when I was a little kid. Nice. So you're staring at these 
things, having a kind of kitsch or pop level aesthetic experience, you know? And, uh, mm-hmm. so I, of course, you know, you, a lot, like a lot of people, like if you like drawing, you start drawing what you love and then, and then it becomes a challenge. And I like the challenge, you know, I really enjoyed the challenge of trying to draw. It's never quite as good as the artist that I copied, but, um, it brought me closer to some kind of mystery or goal that, um, or mysterious goal that I could never fully obtain to, mm-hmm. but I, I think I loved the challenge and, you know, that's echoed for me and my personality type is like, a uh, doing things like the high jump. Like you're always trying to clear a bar that's a little higher that yeah, yeah. some kind of self-assessment in there. And, and, you know, some of that might've come out of me having a difficult childhood in some ways and being kind of hypervigilant and protective and, you know, so you, you, you set private benchmarks for yourself that you feel like you can learn and grow without being mm-hmm. tore down. Yeah, yeah. You know, so I think my uh, relationship to art started there. Then you fast forward into like painting and it's like, it's like a full orbed sensory experience. Mm-hmm. You know, like you're the smell of the studios, the, the shop talk. Yeah. You know, you come into the studio classes and there's uh, a kind of rhetoric and attitude or um, way that at least in a time when I was studying painting in a serious way, just the whole thing felt felt good. The, the dirty sinks that you wash your brushes in, you know, you, you have to dress a certain way. Mm-hmm. You know, there is a, a lot of um, kind of unspoken uh, conformity of some kind that was comfortable to me. Yeah, yeah. You know, like I wore dicky work pants and mm-hmm. got paint all over my shirt. And, you know, you, you, you're allowed to slow down and spend hours, you know, not moving too fast. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're not being lazy. Right, right. So there's some, something about dwelling in one place, inhabiting a place. And um, then when it comes to painting, it's like this material, man, that, um, that is like a magic in a way because it can – it can it can do a, a great number of things, mm-hmm. and there's a chemistry there, there's a science there, there's a mysticism there, and then there's a a um, meaning in the making and in the manner of the 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 the, the painting, if you will, that um, conveys and and confounds, and I think the repeatability of that experience mm-hmm. that you can keep pressing into this embedded space where you smell the pain and you're it's responsive to you're almost dancing in some ways um with the material itself and it's never really finished there's always another one you can make and something about the gratification of um falling short of of a challenge that harked back to like i think me wanting to draw like these comic book heroes that i had Mm -hmm. um but also you know i've said in the past but you know i always kind of like the secondary things of that framed up Mm-hmm. you know the comic book so like getting into painting was like kind of getting at the heart of what i think i was experiencing as a kid as far as my intuitive leanings towards the um the underpinnings or the underlayers mm-hmm. and in wanting to bring that forward kind of like the hidden being brought forward just a little more yeah you know and um and then you start learning you know so you're doing this thing and then you find out that there's a whole history to it <laughs> you know so just kind of being like so as a kid who doesn't really know his history, my mm-hmm. personal history, yeah, um, you you feel kind of identityless, um, you know, uh, in a, in a biographical sense, and then you come to this 
conversation, you come to this action intuitively. So you're painting. You're not really, you know, I didn't come to painting through art history, but I came to art history through painting. Mm -hmm. And so um, then art history is this like uh, incomplete and problematic, but still interesting history of voices unpacking and talking and arguing and debating and uh, inspiring Mm -hmm. each other around this very same campfire so to speak the same experience with these same materials and yeah and these you know nitpicking and adjusting colors to to capture or emulate something that you're seeing just outside your window or you know in a, in a landscape or whatever like um painting became an epistemology that um activated a, a level of appreciation for the world outside of the studio mm-hmm. that wasn't there beforehand you know it, it gave me like a a meaning sense of of what I was seeing elsewhere and it intensified it enough that it kind of woke me up. Mm-hmm. Like I knew it was there, you know, I could go to a track meet and sit down in the grass and smell cut grass and feel cold air and see people moving and running and feel your body and be aware to be alive. But painting kind of, um, pinned it down. Yeah. You know, and you know, so, I mean, it, that can sound a bit romantic, but it's just what it was like. Um, so once you know that experience, you know, and you, you know, it re- repeatedly and you start to see yourself develop in the midst of this larger community of painters in your context, but also in the history, um, you know, you start to become kind of devoted. Like you start to mm-hmm. feel a, a deeper connection or obligation or, um, even a love hate relationship. Um, and, uh, I love to, <laughs> I love to look at paintings. I mean, mm-hmm. there's just something, there's just a value there for me in it. You know, and uh, when you're the painter, you get to see them more readily. <laughs> yeah, you do. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. Thinking back to the things I love about um, making the the place that I always come back to is uh, even as a kid, one of the first things that I would do is I would take like scraps or trash or whatever else and I would like build things out of them. I just make stuff. I liked taking um, things that looked and seemed very unrelated or um, unnecessary and put them together into something that looked like it belonged, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and even if it was as badly as I was doing it as a kid, but I was always, um, I was always really enamored with some, a lot of stuff with sci-fi and I really liked kind of like magical realism, you know, so you said magic and man, there, there is something about a mad about magic. I think in the early years of making that we always try to get back to, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, the older we get, the more we, the more we sit there and peel the veneer off of it and try to make it, you know, whatever it is, um, I think we try to regain that magic in some way, the way we felt about it as a kid or when we first started or whatever it is. Yeah, it's hard. It's, you know, we, I think we get at that in the, the imagination thing. It's, mm-hmm. it, it is hard to hold on to. So we call it childlike wonder, but I think it's, a, it, it's like it's got to be a human like wonder. And, you know, we, we're so busy. We're so busied that, to slow down feels like a contrivance mm-hmm. because the values on the busyness. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So like it's, it, so if I try to slow down, now COVID caused us to slow down and it definitely caused me to slow down and mm-hmm. some things changed drastically. Like I'm much more inclined to be outside mm-hmm. to do some wider things with my hands that I wasn't mm-hmm. thinking about doing, but the, um, to try to break from the busyness, Mm-hmm. that sort of dictates our life um, feels 
contrived to do that because of how much our investment in our our um, habit is in the busyness. Mm-hmm. So like when you try to step out of it, it doesn't feel authentic all the time. Mm-hmm. It feels like a contrivance. So then if you try to say, I'm doing this, unless, and here's the thing, unless you're listening or, you know, um, but there's folks that are not where, where I'm at mm-hmm. that are naturally in the, the place I'm trying to get to sometimes. Yeah, yeah. So for them, it's not an issue at all. They're like, they are, they are beholden to the wonders of the world in a way that, that I have to work harder to kind of um, be present before, if you will. Right. So yeah, there's something there. So you know, when you go childlike wonder, it's like this extra gear to try to pull you out. But then, as we said earlier, it's like, it's like, um, uh, it's like, can you have the wonder in all the things you know together? Mm-hmm. You know, like you don't have to cut your head off to have the wonder, but there is a challenge in that. And a lot of times what we think is we have to unravel all that we've experienced and know to get back to this place. And I don't know that I want to get back. I want to go forward. I want to lean in with what Mm -hmm. I've experienced because those experiences are meaningful. They're not trivial to uh, what's ahead of me. They're actually part and parcel to getting me there, you know? And that's, uh, you know, I think that's why the, with the term magical realism, like the idea of, of things that, that seem just beyond the possible experience. Mm -hmm. You know, and not not in the sense of like progressive or innovative, not 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 in that sense, but in the sense of like, you know, the ways that you see things in the world that do appear a little magical at times. Mm-hmm. Uh, you just can't quite explain. Um, you know, like when you you know talk about somebody you haven't seen in a while, and then you see them like at a busy airport the next day. Mm-hmm. You know, things like that that just feel uh, really kind of um, yeah. We'll call it serendipitous, or we'll call yeah, it coincidence, yeah. but. But um, but they happen a lot more than just yep. like coincidence, right? So there's there's like this space in the world that I think we all kind of have some kind of abstract category for. And as a kid, it was uh, it was great because I mean, you know, growing up with, um, you know, Super Mario and Wolverine, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, uh, shows on public television that are uh, using puppets to teach me phonics. You know, like mm-hmm. there's all these things that don't feel like they're outside of this world, mm-hmm. but they do feel like they, they lend a bit more kind of character and weight and depth to it mm-hmm. in ways. So it, it, even as a kid, like kind of picking up on some of those things. And I think that's why the, you know, I would, I would go through like the scrap wood pile um, from when my dad would like, uh, you know, cut up stuff for kindling for the fireplace or like a bag of recycling or, you know, things like that, mm-hmm. like containers that food would come in um, and just make stuff out of them, just mm-hmm. build things, assemble things. And there's a book that my mom had when I was a kid, and she, she bless her soul, she uh, went through a whole bunch of boxes, and she finally found the book because I had asked her whatever happened to it. And she, she found the book, and she gave it to me a, a year ago or so. But it stuck out in my mind as, like, the first book uh, that – uh, really made me want to make things because I, you know, like every, every kid that's involved in art or design, um, I was drawing, I was coloring, I was making, you know, whatever. Um, but this book toward the back of it, there were, it was kind of a, kind of a DIY craft book mm-hmm. for like stuff for kids. And so it had like, you know, uh, dolls and playhouses and, um, you know, different sort of like sports things or whatever else, you know, the whole gamut. Um, but in the back, they had two sections. And one was kind of like a superhero city that all the buildings were made out of cardboard. And they had things like, um, so they had a place where like Spider-Man could swing from. 
Mm-hmm. And they had a phone booth that Superman could pop out of. Mm-hmm. And it was all things you could make yourself out yep. of this. And it looked amazing. I was enthralled by it as like a five-year-old. And then the next one was um, kind of a space idea. So you had some Star Wars dudes running around uh, and like Ewoks and stuff. And it was all kinds of a futuristic sort of sci-fi thing. And both of those were just amazing because they were worlds that I could kind of enter into the same way I could with books mm-hmm. or with good movies. Um, and so they were um, they were kind of some of the first places where I was like, I want to, I, I just want to make things, mm-hmm. you know, like whatever experience is going on right now with me, I want to keep repeating this. Because mm-hmm. I, I don't know, looking back, it was almost like there was a hopefulness about it, right? Mm-hmm. Like that my my job wasn't just to pop out into this world, consume a whole bunch of stuff, and then one day go back and be Yeah, it's kind of like you, you can get siphoned into not feeling like you have a place in the participating of making. Yeah. But, you know, but then at the same time, we look at YouTube and we know that a lot of people. So here's the rub. A lot of people get that and they're making incredible things. Mm-hmm. I think the thing that I chose was I believe the path to making had to happen through college. Mm-hmm. So I ended up getting the the pluses and minuses that come through academia. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you especially if you're going to be an artist, you, you, you know, I didn't want to be a... Um, this is past tense, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I knew that I, it, out of some lack in myself, I thought that I needed to be more serious as an artist. And so mm-hmm. I was looking for what ser- what constitutes a serious artist. And I'm mm-hmm. saying this as a, as a long way in the past. And so, you know, um, there was nothing stopping me before I went to school to, to paint. Like I was painting, I was reading right. books and trying to paint. But I knew I was missing something and I knew, so I took all the baggage that came with what I needed to learn, mm-hmm. right? And so in, in uh, c- circumstances and people, they, they, they place you where they do. And I, I've had to re, I've had to rewire, you know, I've had to look back on uh, with, with fresh eyes on my education and I have a very positive outlook. Mm-hmm. But I didn't always have that positive outlook while it was happening. Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of like a past tense willingness to be grateful where there was times and places where I wasn't as grateful. And um, that's a discussion for another day. But, um, yeah, there's just something about uh, – and I want to be careful, I guess, because I, I love – I mean, anybody that knows me knows that I'm a reader and I read a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm very selective in what I read, but I'm actively, you know, reading. So I'm very much uh, – um, I like to read good thinkers thinking about things that – I may or may not care about, but mm-hmm. probably do care about. And I appreciate it and I learn and I'm fed and I'm engaged and I think I'm thankful for those people's work. And um, But there's also the baggage of posturing yourself as serious mm-hmm. by doing those things. Yeah, so it's yeah. not about the reading. It's about the, it's not about what's being said and what that might mean. It's about reading it so that you can be like, yes, I read all these people. Therefore, that validates me as a right. maker. Yeah. And there's something so hollow about that and ineffective that what it produces is oftentimes bitter elitist. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and I think I think somewhere in my love for painting, I started to contend with the bitterness of other makers and their snobbery. Mm-hmm. Um, and then and then you start to feel like, well, if I don't mirror this bitter snobbery, then I lose some place in the community. 
Yeah. And uh and it's reinforced at times. Yes, and it's reinforced at times. So then you so then so then you know you're in school and you're you're like um people aren't really trying to think about what they're thinking about. They're only trying to think about it enough to maintain their status. So then there's not really a discourse. It's a toe the line mentality. And then that bleeds in through your back into your experience of making. And all of a sudden you're questioning whether you actually care about doing this. But the funny thing, so the funny thing that I could never reconcile is like, you know, I used to say things like, if I'm just painting and I'm not worried about what people think, it's great. But if I start worrying about, you know, what these, these, you know, this kind of, you know, what happens to us when we go to grad school a lot of times is we get really, really puffed up and really, really, um, you know, if you, if you're, uh, good enough, you stay around doing it and, you know, you outgrow it or you just become very bitter. You know, you just become a kind of bitter, um, it, it like quietly entitled in the corner, you yeah. know, and, and then you start to project so you can project futility into your work mm-hmm. that becomes the concept. It's like, everything's futile. It's like, well, then why do you keep trying? Yeah. At what point are you actually going to get honest about, uh, um, the uh, fetishizing of futility Mm -hmm. um, or the ambiguity of work. And it's like, at what point does ambiguity give way to something? At what point are you going to be honest? Like, you know, if you start walking through these tropes that, that exist within the history of art making, if it's like, um, you know, um, you know, we can't know anything. And so you're always making work about how we can't know anything, Mm -hmm. but you knew how to pick up the brush and you knew how, you know, to expect that these ingredients are going to act this way or, you know, if it's, if it's always about activism, like I remember, I remember, uh, being in a lecture and this person was saying, and this was about activism and, um, you had, you had brought this up earlier to me about activism and I've, I've been thinking about it, but, um, this is like probably 2002 mm-hmm. and, uh, in this panel discussion, this curator was like, artists need to get out of their studios and stop essentially like self-gratifying through painting because there's rivers that need to be cleaned up. And I remember being like, so you're saying we need to do more work that is uh, um, uh, performative-based, mm-hmm. non-studio practice, so that we can care for the environment. And my mind was like, why do I need to call it art to care for the environment? Like, why yeah. would, why is art so, like, why can't it be both, mm-hmm. you know? And to continue to encounter those kinds of thoughts, which mm-hmm. persist to this day. Mm-hmm. you know um that art can only be dealing with these things is such a deficient worldview like if your worldview is everything is only prisoner of the moment mm-hmm. you got problems and and i think i think i'm finally at a place where my worldview um is big <laughs> um without getting into it, is big enough to subsume your worldview possibly and i don't see that arrogant i'm just saying like if everything lives or dies in that moment, then I necessarily have a different worldview because I don't believe that. So yeah, yeah. it by default has to be bigger because it includes what you're saying, but it, it includes more than that. So it has to be a bigger space, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if everything is futile, well, that's your worldview, right? So um, get consistent with it or, you know, and I think, I think world, the world, we've talked a lot about worldview without saying it in terms of the way we talk about things. But um it allows me to clean the river and have joy in my studio making an abstract painting. And so I, I think because I'm not contending with that anymore, I'm finding my appreciating appreciation for painting and it's becoming like, um, weirdly not ahistorical. It's just, I have a, a, a fluid freedom 
Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, um, weirdly a boredom with a certain percentage of contemporary art mm-hmm. and more of a appreciation for a lot of the stuff I overlooked in history. Mm-hmm. It's weird. I mean, I'm in a weird season, so I'm not saying I'm just talking personally, mm-hmm. but man, you know, so I'll look at some of these older paintings that, and the way painters handled paint and you're like, Holy smokes, man, these people really knew what they, like what they were doing mm-hmm. and not just in terms of self exalted technique. I mean, like, they really had an intention and an effect that really was communicating whatever, whatever it was. Yeah. And there's no, there's no ambiguity or apologizing for that. And I think I find that refreshing. I think I, and I think I, I want, you know, I just want to make the work that I want to make without apologizing for it. Not in an arrogant way, Mm -hmm. but in like a humble admission that, Hey, look, I'm just one amongst a billion people that make paintings. Yeah. Therefore I don't have to answer to art history's contrived questions and, Every uh, French existentialist or German philosopher's ideas about, you know, the nature of existence. Like, yeah. And I'm not so sure all of those thoughts were that good anyways. Mm-hmm. Well, the, uh, I mean, you know, um, the older I get, the more it feels like what, I've, what I'm coming back to is, is like some of those earlier thoughts that are just kind of making the world a little bit bigger mm-hmm. and yes. making possibilities larger. You know, and so that, you know, the prisoner of the moment, like it does, it does get, it gets exhausting mm-hmm. because you're never off, right? It's always on. So you're constantly having to say, well, what is it now? What is it now? What is it now? And it's the reason that people do like, they do like social media fast or whatever, because it's tough to be on all the time. And it's, and it's hard to, to, to put effort into that and want to be, that like on point with things. And I think um, it's just nice to have some spaces where you can kind of relax back into um, kind of relax back into a, an understanding that like there actually is sort of an integration of art and life. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is not forced and yes. it does not need you to propel it. It just is. Mm-hmm. And so whether what you do accords with that or not does not change the reality of mm-hmm. that integration of art and life. Mm-hmm. That they are they are connected, they're intermingled. Art does not need you um, to tell people its value on mm-hmm. some level. And life does not need you to tell people its value on some level. But when we can tap into the, the, the understanding of that, there's some pressure, I think, that drops off. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and that, that pressure... I think is is the pressure that you kind of hear from students where they're like the 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 pressure of art school. Mm-hmm. They're usually not talking about the the level of work they have to do or the mm-hmm. amount of work. It's yes, usually the expectations. That I come think from that's it. I think that's what I like. You know, just being a generation behind, and or you know, a few a few steps behind as far as like being a university uh, instructor or whatever. Um, you know, not everybody. So when I would sit in. Um, composition classes where we would study, you know, our life painting classes, we study composition and we'd be in the, uh, like a, a small room with the lights off, looking at masterworks, talking mm-hmm. about them. And I would say like the level of interest staggered. It wasn't like everybody was equally right. But there was a handful of us that were like really keyed up. It's like, like we were like, nah, man, this is mm-hmm. really, really something. And, uh, that, that is never the that rarely seems to be the pressure on artists yeah is the yeah. what i mean by that is like the interest in the history of it 
and how that is weighing in on you being a part of that history and extending it forward. So you're, you're not contending with, um, you're not fighting with the Kooning or, um, you know, Joe Mitchell or like you're, you know, or you, you know, even, even now, like someone like Carol Walker, like you're not, or Jessica Stockholder of the past or like, there's like people and there's not a lot of, um, that kind of pressure. It's always self-imposed, mm-hmm. you know, institutional pressures of different kinds. And those, there's real, just to be clear, I'm not talking about like systematic stuff or, yeah, yeah. You know, I'm, ta- I'm just talking real. Yeah. Cause that's there too. Right. And so, uh, it's a big discussion, too big for a podcast like this. But, um, but I mean, like, the interest is always outside the art mm-hmm. in supporting or justifying the artist making the art. And so, in a lot of ways, the art almost feels like the last thing considered. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I think I was there. Oh, a hundred percent. And so, I, that's why I say I think there's like a return to it as you kind of age. And you, you know, you mentioned this with school. Like you kind of get through that period after school where you're like, okay, I. I, I can see all, I can be grateful for all the stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a hard place to come back to sometimes. Sometimes people never do. Yep. You know, and they're always so, a little embittered. Um, I think that's why that, I do think that's why so many people quit. <laughs> I mean, I nearly did. So, yeah, I mean, and, and I don't know when I think back to the, like, like I have a, a, a memory of sitting in my bedroom floor with these giant, like boxes of like cardboard and aluminum cans and, and plastic, you know, margarine tubs or whatever, and like putting them together and making this like little city. When I think about that, it wasn't that work. I was not sitting there trying to do something that validated me. Mm-hmm. I was sitting there trying to make something that helped me make sense of like the feelings and experiences I had within a world that felt super rich, mm-hmm. even as a kid. Yeah. You know, and I think that's still the place where I find like the most meaningful making now well see this is what's interesting to me is i'm I'm trying to think about this like when you're saying that because i know exactly what you mean mm-hmm. and it's like there's no reason to really lose that but i think we do when we go to art school mm-hmm. but then i think like but, but i also know enough to know that there's a ton of people that just have never had to contend with the baggage that i maybe yeah. have acquired in art school mm-hmm. and they're like i said you can find them on youtube and they're making incredible stuff and they're like what are you talking about like i made x <laughs> yeah. i wanted to make that so it's not like they don't exist. So in some ways, it's kind of like, if anything, man, I'm, I guess I'm thinking about art. I'm questioning art school. <laughs> like, is there a way to, of being in the world of the makers that have preceded us without it falling into the baggage trappings of art school? And I don't have an answer to that question yet as far as like um, the acute issue, I guess I'm thinking about now, which is kind of a divergence from our topic. But I guess I'm thinking about it. Because I completely did the same stuff. I made knight's armor and yeah, yeah, out of cardboard for my I characters. And I, I mean, you know, so you're as a kid, you're doing that, mm-hmm. and then you see people like you see, you know, there's whole droves of people that get into gardening and like house building, and like there's contractors that are honed in. There's in and, and there's like uh uh you know there's painters that studied at whatever classical program and you know are under the tradition of of whatever teacher and they they're just masters at what they do like they're just so incredible at what they do whether it's groundbreaking or not you know whether it's um in the kind of can i you know i don't know maybe i'm thinking and i don't know maybe folks will chime in because i'm being honest I, I don't exactly know but maybe maybe though maybe there's a we draw a lot like oh gosh so there's diversity, uh, there's diversity. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, 
which is a way of describing what is the case. Right. Then there's diversity. Mm-hmm. And that seems to have a line around it. Mm-hmm. And it, there seems to be signs and signifiers that would connotate or communicate diversity. I'm going to leave it there. There's a way of saying contemporary art, mm-hmm. which is just to say whatever people are making today. Right. And then there's the way we mostly use it, which draws a line around what contemporary art is. Right. And yeah. no one will ever pin it down too hard because you can't uh, intellectually. Mm-hmm. But they'll name it by showing it and pointing to it and then employing the talk around it that comes through the in- enculturation of the institution. Yeah, it's, you'll know it when you see it. you know when you see it. So, um, and I guess what I'm thinking is I like contemporary art mm-hmm. a lot of there's a lot that i'm i'm uh, in, intrigued by or you know i've invested in that fits into that actual circumference that circle or a diagram or whatever mm-hmm. but i like it without that line around it mm-hmm. like i don't want that line yeah and so i think that's the, if that makes sense like i want it to no, just totally. you know I, I i don't want it um i think the trivial pressure of uh uh feeling as though you know the uh the super serious um oceanscape painter mm-hmm. um which i love looking at ocean paintings um and the you know the really serious figurative painter who's making very contemporary work about identity or whatever mm-hmm. like uh um to act as though one is more serious than the other right i think is a problem for me yeah i think and you know just the sitting there in the in my bedroom floor as a kid um like i knew the world was big yeah like i knew it was and i knew i didn't know the boundaries of it i knew i didn't know uh what the what the sides and the shapes of it felt like Mm -hmm. like there was a there's something intuitive in me as a kid that understood that you know and sometimes that comes across as like as a kid you're just kind of fearful of certain things because you don't know what to expect right that's why the dark is kind of oppressing and that's why you know the house two doors down from you is so strange. Yeah. Because the world is, the world is big and you know mm-hmm. it. Um, I think the, the bigger we get, the more we, we are moving about shrinking that world mm-hmm. into uh, glib phrases, uh, into very discernible and knowable parts. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think that when we lose that scale, like it can get, it can get difficult because uh, there's there's no space in a small world for all wonder, yeah. And there's there's no there's no place in a small world for, you know, what you're talking about, kind of a more encompassing, like reality of yeah. those things. Well, it kind of goes back to the rethink the world thing. It's like the uh, the way we know stuff. You know, I was texting with a friend who was listening. It was you know we're just going back and forth, and I was saying I just said something to the effect of there's a quick text exchange, but I I was like, well, you know, we we're gross generalization here right but mm-hmm. we either um we're finite beings contingent upon whatever the contingencies are the place and time of your birth your genetic makeup your physical makeup you know yeah, yeah. uh your your latent capacities uh and uh your socioeconomics i mean all just all the layers right yeah you're you're limited you're finite you're not an infinite being but you're a finite being mm-hmm. so what that means is um uh, we are subject to that which is. Mm-hmm. So whatever that is, right, we're subject to it. And and in that, uh, we have the capacity, the great capacity of relational knowledge. So, and by that, I don't just mean talking to people relationally. I mean, it's in relationship to whatever is in front of our face, however much we can hold, 
however uh, focused we can bring that information forward. Um, and that's always given to us through persons primarily um, and our experiences, right? So we can't know it all, but, but we can know. And so, you know, the way I'm thinking about it is as knowers, um, as knowers, uh, we're in, in whatever contingent situation we're in. And then there's the continuity of that, but we're not absolute knowers. So, so our knowing always, um, puts us in the position to be recognizing our finitude and conceding that there's, um, ever more still that, that we don't know, which is not to say we can't know it, Mm -hmm. um, necessarily, but it's to say that it would take work for me to find out X, Y, or Z. And by doing that, I'm foreclosing on any number of other possibilities. So, so. So what, what I'm getting at is we either do that and we concede uh, what we, we um, understand how we know and what we know and we concede what we can't know in any given moment. And we're good with the mystery of that, you know, and, and that is a humble, humbling phenomena. Or we're in precisely the same way, but what we do is we assume that we are the center of reality, we're the hub, and we assume what we know is always what is, is there to know. Which means yeah. so you're which demands an elitism because you're exactly. it, and it, it narrows the world because because what it's saying is you know we are it's a, it's a kind of narcissism so here's the thing you could have the person who actually is like we should be really socially minded caring for the environment and they can fall into the second category mm-hmm. because what they do is they assume what they know is so right and total and complete nothing else gets in. And therefore, there's no way of advancing that conversation. You must do what I say. Yep. And so you, you could be the anti-oppressive person who actually is oppressive through your anti-oppressive uh, oppressive, um, uh, assumptions about knowledge. Mm-hmm. And so then you create gross polarizations uh, out of impatience. Self and self-righteousness produces impatience mm-hmm. um, because the world will not reinforce your self-righteousness. And that will make you frustrated. Yeah. So you get, you know, kind of self-righteous, institutionalized artists that are impatient and judgy and critical and withering while trying to maintain whatever box. So the, the, the irony of the, uh, you know, the whole cliche kind of idea of like being out of the box thinker and, you know, artists are progressive and head the curve and I drank all that down myself. But assuming all that while closing people into a box or making them stand outside the box while yeah. saying you're an out of the box thinker mm-hmm. is very contradictory, and um, and it's it's uh, it's very limiting. And I think it's again, I think it's why a lot of people quit making. Notice how none of that has to do with making, though. None of it. None yeah. of it. And that's um, yeah. I mean, when when the when the world is bigger, when the stuff outside of me is bigger, um, like when I approach any project in that space. Um, it's easier in a way, mm-hmm. and it's easier in a way because um, if there's a world that I do not fill, then uh, what I get to do is take part in the exploration of that world, mm-hmm. and as I explore it, I also get to take part in the in the building mm-hmm. of that world. Not that the world is contingent upon me, mm-hmm. but that it is a place large enough where I can build things within it. Yep, and that's. That's hugely helpful, and that's th- those are the places where I, I feel like my making um, feels like the most 
I don't know, like the the, the fullest human activity. Mm-hmm. It it feels like a full human activity in, mm-hmm. in those moments. Well, it's not pressurized to bear. It's and it's not, not performative. Yeah, it's not performative. It's not pressurized to bear more weight than it actually assumes mm-hmm. properly that it can. You know, so you go out to make a painting. You know, you're not changing the world with that painting in any significant way. But if you actually think, now that doesn't mean that the painting doesn't have meaningful consequences, but they're right. they're or that it can endure a, a span of time and space where a many eyes pass over the painting and it's actually becoming meaningful and resonant to a larger extent. But at a minimum, you have to concede to the fact that I'm making a painting and it's okay if nobody cares. Yeah. I mean, um, it's in this, and it also opens up a lot of other categories or, or spaces or avenues for things to be, to be artful and have the same meaning and value. Yeah. Uh, so uh, if I, if I take some, some care and pleasure in some exploration and it turns into a good meal for mm-hmm. some friends or family, it's a, it's a beneficial human activity. It's, yep. it's, it's wonderful. And it, it's in that same sort of space. I think it's why I enjoy building things with wood and cooking meals for people. And, you know, the same reason I like, you know, changing carburetors on old cars. Right. You know, there, there's, they're the, they're meaningful things. Um, and you may have seen this, but uh, this past week, I think it was this past week, um, uh, a friend of ours, Casey Criddle, made a post on Instagram, and she uh, was showing off one of her new paintings, and she was just talking about the fact that some of the stuff that she loves is pretty simple stuff. Yeah. She likes growing her own food. Mm-hmm. She likes the the way that a, a, a spider web looks when it's kind of been almost destroyed by dew or mm-hmm. like some water droplets, and her painting was of that. And it was just, it was just a night. It was one of these things where I, I kind of could almost breathe out mm-hmm. when I was looking at it and reading it because mm-hmm. it was somebody who was just sitting there and saying like, this is, this is a thing I take pleasure in. Yeah. And in no way is that one of those things that is so monumentally breakthrough yeah. avant-garde yeah, yeah, yeah. that, yeah, yeah. you know, people are just going to topple over at the finest blue chip galleries in the country. Mm-hmm. But it had such a, a, a more prominent, just like quiet power to it. Yeah, because it it was kind of standing in a space of of like you know admiring, mm-hmm. of noticing, of being a part of. Uh, you know, it wasn't. It, it it was showing it was showing a, a beautiful world. Yeah. Um, yeah. This tangential, but I wonder if so. We're supposed to not. We're, we're supposed to just have a light conversation, and we totally did it. But <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, and, but I was thinking, you know, it's, there's a, I won't say all that I said yesterday in a conversation, but um, one thing from a painter standpoint that I know that is transferable into being a, like a young kid, a uh, young boy or whatever, you know, um, the concept of hero. Mm, yeah, so, yeah. so having heroes, you know, um, I got a question about that, but you know, so you grew up having heroes. You, you want to identify with the, the person. And so you look, you got heroes. And so, you know, you come through painting and there's an era in modern painting where that was a, a really in, imbibed thing. Mm-hmm. You have your heroes. And so depending on what era you're educated in, you may be more inclined to have professors who would say, I had heroes. You know, these were my painting heroes. And, uh, you know, especially... And um, and then you might have been in that generation. I don't know that that generation exists now. I don't know that that conversation happens now because I think it's it's problematic and I think it's being dismantled in some ways. But um, problematic doesn't mean it's not all good. But what I would say the hero thing does is it it puts a pressure on you to feel like in order to actually make a value, you kind of have to become mythical in your own right. 
And I think that's a pressure that most people can't live up to. You have to become almost heroic. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I ground that in a kind of psychoanalyzing way in my stepfather just not being my hero. Yeah. Meaning like I just didn't have a father. Mm-hmm. So because I didn't have a father, I was looking for, for hero, which is really a more enlarged way of saying father. Yeah. Um, in, in the infused in the practice of being an artist. I was looking for that fatherly affirmation in the heroes, mm-hmm. in their work. Like, am I getting licensed? Am I being directed? Am I being coached? And, you know, so you're, you're, you're intuitively looking for almost what, what parents, I think, at, at their best ought to be bringing to you mm-hmm. so that you're not looking for that when you grow up, that, yeah. you, that you're operating out of the have of that. Mm-hmm. And so I think, I don't know, I'm speculating, but I think there's a lot of parentless and fatherless uh, folks out there like myself that um, needed, needed something more and just didn't get it well. And so you, you create constructs or there's constructs prefab built and you, you take your gamble there. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be an artist and I'm going to um, really, I really admire Philip Gustin. I don't know him, but I love his paintings. I'm going to read about him and I'm going to allow him to be this kind of figure to me uh, that counsels me or uh, directs me. And, you know, um, which isn't all bad. It just is what it is. But if I was trying to reflect on it, I just think, how all of that still can and in, in a be positive, but also can uh, associate so hard with the act of making something mm-hmm. that then once you don't not, you no longer need the one part of it, the the hero part, mm-hmm. you also throw the the act of making out with that. Yeah, you see what I'm saying. So you totally. you you, you kind of grow past it, or you finally square with some things, you get some clarity, and then all of a sudden you're like, I don't want to make anymore. But it's because maybe the making wasn't square with us enough or, you know, say with myself, like I've, I've always made things, but, um, uh, I've, you know, I've said it over the last couple of years in this podcast, I've only just now really found my freedom to make the way I want to make. Yeah. And not in a flippant way towards an audience, but not in a act. I'm not, I'm not overstressing who my audience is. And if Mm -hmm. you ask me, if you ask me just squarely, what is that about? it is going to have something to do with like, I just like how it looked. I wanted to make it. Yeah. The problem is I know too much to not be able to talk about what it is and what it does. So I can always give you an answer, <laughs> but as the answer precede the making, mm-hmm. I think I'm finally at a place where the making precedes the answer. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, even maybe even coming full circle in some ways, the, the whole, um, like what you're talking about is just, you know, this idea of, of like freedom, uh, in this, like finding a space where like you can just, you're just free to make. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, you, the original question is like, you know, why do you love, why do you do this? Why do you love it? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's like, I, I just, I remember the freedom of sitting in that bedroom floor making mm-hmm. that stuff. I mean, the, the materials were just there. Mm-hmm. They were kind of, you know, in their, in their kind of formless state as they exist as just mm-hmm. raw materials. They were just like, crying out to be made into something Mm -hmm. right for there to be an image that was produced that was something better than the, than the raw pieces. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, it's it's a, it's a beautiful freedom. If Mm -hmm. you can ever get back to that after, after they load the, the pack mule of, 
of uh, everything down with all the different thoughts and ideas and books and things and who you should and who you should. That's why I'm cautious. How you shouldn't. Yeah, because I'm I'm like I because that's why I stress. I can't stress enough. Like you know, I'm a reader, Mm -hmm. so I love to read these things. Yeah, but um, but I guess um, the difference is I'm reading with an air of freedom that I didn't possess before. It's not a dependency and it's not definitional. And that also means because a lot of people are like, what do you read these days? Most of what I read, I don't think most people would want to read with me. But it's not um, possibly what, what folks think. So like, yeah. I, you know, um, yeah, I've been kind of in a very shallow and cursory way finding my interest in poetry again. Like my wife and I used to hang out mm-hmm. with my buddy Jake and read poetry yeah, <laughs> yeah. years ago and have poetry parties. It'd just be the three of us reading poetry, <laughs> eating brownies. Um, <laughs> yeah, you were. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so... Yeah, I don't know, man. I don't know if this is getting older or what. I don't know, but I, I guess I'm saying I, I long for um, the slowdown, and I and I enjoy, like I enjoy hearing the birds chirp, and I enjoy looking at a good painting. And I had a better time walking through a museum with my wife a month ago than I've had in years. Yeah, you know, other than the time we went to see me and you went to Oliver Jackson's, that was great. Like, yeah, that was pretty that was special. I was like, man, I feel lucky that we got to see that because for a million reasons, but. um yeah, I think I think I was getting so cynical, man. So I was looking at everything through a cynical pair of eyes. And so yeah. last few shows we've curated has been great. And uh um, you know, my love for art is always tied to my love for people. Mm-hmm. And dude, that's you, you can't put that in an academic paper. I have. I've said it. Yeah, yeah. I put and people in, look at it and they're like, Did you put this in an academic paper? I put it into my statement about my work, but I'm like, it's like screw it's kinda like screw screw you if you think that's bad. Yeah. At this point. Because yeah, yeah. screw you, you think that relationships are bad. Yeah, because at Come the on. same because at the same time you're you're sitting. You know, you want me to give you an argument for why we should love people? Look at look at how the institutions are crumbling because we haven't loved people. Yeah, yeah. Your institutional parameters have destroyed people more than it's actually succeeded. Mm. Right? Because we we actually don't know how to love people. We don't know how to rejoice. We we don't delight. We're cynical, critical, arrogant. And so all that actually destroys. It does yeah. not build up. It, no. it, it, it's, it's why the world's rebelling against it right now, why, why the West is. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so I find it interesting that a lot of the, the things that I've, uh, you know, I've had elitists look down their nose at me because I've, I've been kind or nice mm-hmm. or loving or gracious or patient, and it's always perceived as a sign of weakness. It's amazing, especially in academia. Oh yeah, yeah. Real. As if you don't have a brain, <laughs> and, and then heaven forbid you, you know, you make a painting. Then you do something not that's not a painting, and then people go, "Oh, you can do other stuff." And it's like, you know, yep. you're so blinded by your own narcissism mm-hmm. that you can't you can't see down the street to who your neighbor is, let alone your colleague. Yeah, and uh, I don't know, man. I think I'm just at a point where I'm like, I've internalized this long enough. I'm not. I just want to enjoy making a painting again. No, totally, and it's. Uh... Yeah. Yeah. Just to, to enjoy it. Cause uh, I think you're right. Uh, you just talk to too many people who, who get done with a very like, like intense experience of learning art, wherever that is. Mm-hmm. And they just kind of stop mm-hmm. and then they come back. And it's funny because they always kind of come back in the same ways from my experience. It's very much like one of these things where they say like, uh, okay, I'm going to go out. I'm going to do something else entirely. So mm-hmm. they go do that, right? And what do they go do? Well, they go find a different job. They go find, the, you know, they just kind of 
uh, kind of continue college in some ways, you know, mm-hmm. keep doing the part-time jobs, three or four roommates. Yep. And they get to a spot and they're just like, I don't enjoy this. Yep. I should get back to what I do enjoy. Mm-hmm. And then it's almost like you're meeting the thing for the first time. It's like, how do I do this but enjoy it this time? How do I do this but actually not have to listen to those voices? Yeah. Um, and it's like, yeah, well, you know, I was doing that at five. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, and then you and you know, it fell it. off. Yeah, I had, a, I had a friend named Tom. I don't know if Tom ever listened, so shout out to you, Tom, if you're around. But and he, we were having a conversation years ago, and uh, you know, he's a designer and a product designer, and and he's just like, dude, the happiest I've ever been is just making stuff with Legos. And he was like yes. older than me, so he's like 40. I mean, he might be 50 now, I don't know, but he's a couple years older than me. And I'm sitting there, this is years ago, but I'm like, I know what he means. You know, like, and he's like, why can't I just do that forever? And there's a way to hear that is like a sentimental kind of like, now you got to grow up thing. But there's a, another way of saying, no, you're right. But I think the worldview has to house that well, mm-hmm. meaning that it has to, I mean, it has to accord with reality. So do we live in a reality that affords us to continue to do just that? Mm-hmm. And it's like, yes, yes, but it also is the same world where cancer and sickness and disease mm-hmm. and bills get paid. And so there's a fight in the uh, spirit of things mm-hmm. that is not as eminently upon you necessarily, depending on your upbringing and what your life was like as a kid. Yeah. So, so there is a, a qualified yes in my mind, mm-hmm. a qualified yes, you know? Um, but, but it is a yes though. Yeah. You know, uh, but I mean, painting rocks, like I just think, uh, I'm just going to harp it on painting. Maybe we close it out on painting and say this. I think uh, art making, so, you know, substituted, I'm just saying painting because I like painting. But um, uh, I, I think there needs to be a kind of humanistic, at a minimum, a humanistic uh, kind of, renaissance is the wrong word, but um, continuation yeah. um, or a, a stronger emergence that confronts a lot of the runaway values that are narrowing our human experience. Mm -hmm. You know, so I I hope for more gardeners and um, home builders and guitar pickers and writers and Mm -hmm. poets and uh, trumpet players and, you know, design. I was talking with the guy last night and he's a synthesizing He's a PhD with two master's degrees. He's 33 from India, and he's got this whole angle on computation, quantum physics, and I forget what else, but it's like two fields that don't talk to each other, and he's been educated in such a way that he wants to create the the bridge to help these fields talk to address the problems each field has. Mm-hmm. And so he's explaining this to me, and I was like, dude, that's amazing, man. How many people like are thinking about this? And it's like just a few. Yeah. And so he's trying to find uh, a, a research facility that'll, you know, and it's like, you know, we need stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I, and he had a, he has a passion for it. You could see it in his eyes. Um, but uh, we need, we need um, more people. Like I, here's what I guess what I'm trying to think about is my sense is there's a lot of people that don't have a voice in the kind of technological Mm-hmm. Uh, way things are going right now, 
And so that voice isn't because here's why, because they're actually out doing yeah. the stuff we're talking about. And then there's a percentage of people that are online predominantly, but they're not necessarily wanting to be there mm-hmm. all the time. It's just that the belief is this is the only place to be. And so you can't choose what you haven't seen. Right. So I guess what I'm trying to say is go, go find these other people because you, you probably really do want to be doing that. And, and we need license to do it. We need to be told it's okay to do it or whatever we need. You know, it's like, um, this is the time to reinvent art galleries and mm-hmm. exhibitions. This is the time to, in the nineties, there was the emergence of nonprofits. So here we are, we're living out the implications of what trailblazers did in the nineties against adversity and economic mm-hmm. adversity. Well, this is a time to rethink the arts yet again. And, and, and I think it's going to start with like loving your neighbor and loving what you do. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I think if you can start there, um, it can look very different. Like I, my dreams are like, I I've always wanted, you know, a neighborhood art fair with a bunch of garages that are mm-hmm. converted into galleries yeah. and is, is fully integrated in, in our living spaces. Um, you know, I want to someday, make a house museum in, 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 or maybe a run of house museums in neighborhoods where you, you buy old houses and turn them into, na- into museums. Mm-hmm. Um, those are two dreams that I have, uh, amongst starting a school, but, um, in <laughs> writing books and uh, <laughs> just keep going and being like, don't have enough lifetime for all that. Yeah. But I mean, but somebody could do that though. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way you get patrons is not just going to the same old patron. Well, so mm-hmm. it's like, get people excited about what you do. Cause that's what YouTube does. Mm-hmm. You get a person who does like some crazy woodworking and then you go, gosh, that's amazing. And then before you know, you're like, I want to try. Yeah. It's not theory. Nope. Theory. No one, no one opened up Nietzsche and got people into making paintings. Yeah, for real. I mean, Nietzsche, I'll talk you out of painting. Talk you a lot. Of, a, lot a lot of, of stuff. So, so I mean, I think, I think there's an honest recognition. The thing you have to abandon if you want to be inspired is the academic elitism. Mm-hmm. Like you just got to go ahead and let that go and be cool with people not, thinking as highly of you in that way. But that way of being is grossly overrated and is proving itself to be impotent in dealing with the world we find ourselves in. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, you know, an increase of knowledge does not mean an increase in wisdom. And I think, you know, or standing. We, yeah. And I think, you know, we were talking about is like, there, there's a whole lot of knowledge that we throw at people mm-hmm. a lot of times, um, you know, our school, the world, whatever. Um, but I think that, kind of that mellowing back into like the joy of making, I think sometimes is yeah. what was kind of at the other side. This is what I'd like to see happen. Wisdom. Yeah. It's like what I'd like to see happen with us in art school. Like mm-hmm. as someone who's a professor, like I'd like, to, I'm trying to find a way of reigniting people's like love for doing things mm-hmm. uh, as a, as a more proportionate uh, part of the equation than yeah. let me be cynical and theorize everything into um, uh, satire, ar- irony and, uh, capitulation of things I don't even understand. Yeah. Like, let's just, get, let's get back to being actually making things and being, and just be, like, you know, heaven forbids someone makes something that looks cool. I know, right? I had a, a really fun experience. And, you know, if, if you want, we can kind of leave off on this, just an, a, a nice little anecdote. Sure. But we had a space, um, just some classes were being held in. And it was a, it was like a, it was like a garbage throwaway space. And so I asked what the uh, different sort of uh, parameters were like for that space. What can mm-hmm. I, uh, you know, and they're like, oh, do what you do what you want. You know, it's going to be changed at the end of the semester. Mm-hmm. So um, had students envision the space, what they thought they would need it to be and what it would look like. So they had all these ideas. The ideas were fine. Mm-hmm. And they were like, okay, now execute. And they're like, ah, 
So then the ideas started to fall off because mm. they started asking other people <laughs> what they thought. Yeah. And it was like, okay, stop all that. <laughs> so things come in and it's kind of a hodgepodge space. And you look at it and it's a little, little, a lot underwhelming. You're like, okay, these are whatever. So, um, there's one wall and they're like, I think we want to do some painting on this, this back wall. And I was like, cool. There's, mm-hmm. there's the paint that y'all brought in. What are you going to do with it? And so they came up with an idea and then nobody would want to execute it. And I'm like, why? I mean, you came up with the idea. Like, you don't, you just have to do it. Mm-hmm. Like, there's nothing to deal with. And all they had to do was just do the work. They just had to finish it. And um, there was one student who just, uh, everything, there would be, well, I'm going to do this. They put the brush to the wall. And then they'd rethink. And they stop. And it was four or five times. I'm like, just do a thing. Mm-hmm. And so what I had to do is just stand behind them and just be like, finish this paint this right now and i'm just like yelling at this person uh-huh. and she's like fine 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 and she's doing it and we get down like what do you think and she's like i think i like it yeah and i was like why and she's like, i didn't have to think about it like yeah you you can enjoy it you can just enjoy it yeah. you can just do this thing and mm-hmm. it'd be okay mm-hmm. like nobody's getting pissed off when you're like hey you know what i'm just gonna go to the uh, playground next to my house and i'm gonna play basketball mm-hmm well, what do you mean? What are the implications of it? Yeah. Uh, what sort of trajectory is that place you on? Yeah. Uh, what school of thought do you have? What theories are guiding that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who are you trying to emulate? Who's your hero? You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I just want to go play basketball. It's like, I just want a ball. Yeah. Well, cool. Yeah, yeah. I'll do it. And, I mean, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Anyhow. Freedom from that stuff, Freedom. Man. Make your stuff. Make it Make it awesome. Make it real. So, as always, folks. Wake uh, and make. By you. the way, we have, let's just throw it out there. <laughs> yes. We have a shop at Shaka Art Space. We do. If you're interested in getting any of the gear we have, we have, you know, we, we have some hats. Uh, there's a, a hat in line that says Wake and Make, mm-hmm. which we're pretty excited about. It's pretty legit. It's pretty legit. And some sweaters, some hoodies. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, um, and, you know, the money goes to support us, mm-hmm. pay the cost for production, but, so you know, like it's a, it might be um, special items. Uh, we have the Ken Gilbertson Band T-shirts mm-hmm. and uh, baseball tees, which are pretty great. Mm-hmm. Our friend Ken, we got a you know few album projects coming up soon. I'm, I'm sure from Ken. All it sounds like always, always. And so, um, so yeah, while we're at it, go make some art and pick up some Shaco Art Space gear. And if you do, wear it and tag us. Yeah, let us know. Let us see it. So as always, we love y'all, your fantastic audience, and we'll catch you later. Peace. You've been listening to Shaco Art Speak, a production of Shaco Art Space. We are an independent, nonprofit art gallery in Richmond, Virginia. We can be found online at shacoartspace.com and in real life in historic Shaco Bottle.